Got it? Okay, excellent. Do a couple of announcements here. We have some new ones. So we'll skip right on down to number four. Uh, we do have the envelopes. I saw them. They're, they're in a closet, so uh, we're not hiding them. Uh, no evening service tonight, nor for next week either. Uh, we will resume our studies on Sunday, August the 7th. Sunday school is coming back in September, and we need you. Exclamation point here. Classes for high school, junior high, and elementary will be held Sunday evenings after the corporate fellowship mealtime. In order to get accurate numbers for materials, please sign up on the gather board in the appropriate class age group. Adult TBC members, we need teachers also. If you are willing to serve, please sign up on the sheet as well. Do we have any uh, further announcements, addendums, uh, questions, comments, critiques? None being brought up. We'll go to uh, our scripture for meditation taken from the book of Job, chapter 4. And that'll be page 792 in your Pew Bible.
Would you stand with us, please, as we begin our service with opening prayer? Dale, would you kindly lead us in the prayer? standing. Um, turn in your brown hymnal to number 21, please. Number 21 in the brown. As we started doing uh, in recent days, uh, in lieu of a congregational hymn, we're asking for anybody who has a, <coughs> a short testimony of how the week went for them, or the month, or what they're looking for, or how things are looking for them. Are there any takers out there to, to step up and uh, give a brief statement? 
George, I'm looking at you. I'll put the fight on you, brother. Have you got anything good to say? Any others? Okay, brother. And I heard I heard that you brought in two wheelbarrows full of garlic. <laughs> Blessing right there, I'll tell you. Well, I'm sure somebody will take some. I'll, I'll be up in front of the line. Day. Amen to that. Any others? Okay, we'll go to our uh, scripture reading for today. And that <coughs> is taken from the book of Matthew. <coughs> when you come to it, please stand with us. Matthew 13, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. The other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and they produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, 
the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. in the hymnal, please. Brown hymnal. Turn to 366 in the brown hymnal. Free. 
text today is in Matthew 13, once again. Last Lord's Day, we looked at the parable of the sower. Second message in our series on the gospel Jesus preached. We learned that this is another of Jesus' kingdom parables, but without the familiar introduction. The sower referred to Jesus as he preached, but really anyone that gives the gospel forth can be a sower of the word. The seed is the word of God, the message of the kingdom, verse 19. And the soils represent four responses to the message of the gospel. The hard-hearted individual, that hard path where the seed just sits there, the word of God sits on the surface and never penetrates the heart where it can take root and bring forth fruit for God. Secondly, the impulsive heart. Oh, it receives the word with joy most instantly, grows rapidly in the things of God, reads voraciously and excels in the knowledge and understanding. But just as quickly, just as quickly, when persecution or trouble comes because of the word of God, they fall away instantly too. So, quick to receive, quick to reject. Boy, I think that's our world, to tell you the truth. Then thirdly was Mr. Distracted Heart. This person is preoccupied and distracted by everything and anything which comes his way. God, Christ, spiritual needs, they're all on the back burner waiting for a more opportune time which never seems to come. His main interest is this world, making money, having fun. Mr. Distracted Heart. And finally, we looked at the good heart. This is the person that's ready and eager and willing to receive the gospel with faith. He sticks with God first and foremost, and he sticks with God through thick and thin. He perseveres and thus brings forth a great harvest. Now, today's study brings us back to the parable of the sower to consider one of those Difficult passages of which I spoke last week, verse 10 and following. This passage, among other things, explains why the good soil is good and the other soils are unproductive in the things of God. I think there's truth here which is hard for us to swallow. But then we are looking at the gospel that Jesus preached and not necessarily the gospel which men would like to have Jesus preach. All you got to do is listen to some of the TV preachers and you'll see that there is not an alignment necessarily with what they say Jesus taught and what Jesus actually did teach. So as we come to the word of God today, let's ask for the Lord's intervention. Our Father, as we are looking at the 
parable of the sower, we know that the parables are given to clarify and enhance objective truth. They're not just stories to please our sentiments. They are indeed heavenly stories with heavenly truth attached to them. And we want to understand them because, first and foremost, you're the one that gave them to the disciples. So anything that you gave in terms of teaching, we should be interested in, in terms of receiving as well. So help us, Lord, today to understand the truths that are in this text and bless us with your presence, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a look at verse 11. He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, the disciples has, but not to them, not to the common person out in the world. Whoever has will be given more, whoever will have an, and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. And this is why I speak to them in parables. parables. Though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. And they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Near as I can figure out, Matthew 13 on the parable of the sower is the first use of this teaching format by Jesus. Yes, there's some illustrations in Matthew 7 concerning false teachers who dress in sheep's clothing, a foolish builder who built his house on the sand, but the symbolism is not as prominent and there's no interpretation needed because the illustration is given to apply a specific teaching of Christ already heard by the crowd. Matthew 13, however, is a radical departure from a simple illustration. It contains an elaborate, detailed story with moral lessons hidden within its symbolism. The parable is not illustrative, a propositional instruction at all. It stands alone as the main teaching and is itself the medium that Jesus used to get across his message. So, the disciples are curious. They want to know why Jesus has gone from do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, Matthew 7, verse 25, 2, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering his seed, some fell upon the path. 
Jesus has shifted from direct to the point teaching, do not worry, to storytelling. A farmer went out to sow a seed. Why was Jesus now using parables with the people? Well, before we look at Jesus' answer, what would you answer? What do you think? Some of you work with children, even if you don't, you know that most people, children, yes, but also adults, most people like stories. They read novels, they read histories, they read biographies. Even TV tells us stories in picture format along with audio support. Our whole lives are filled with stories. We can't live without them, or at least we choose not to live without them because they stimulate our imagination and they move us emotionally as well as intellectually. Now, as a teacher, if I were to ask you why you employ stories with your students, what would you say? I can anticipate your response. Some would say, well... I use stories to get across difficult concepts to my students. I think they can see in a story some of the hard precepts. Another would say, well, I use stories as a capstone to my teaching to bring the truths down to practical application. In the story, my students see the relevance of the principles that I've just taught. Another might say, well, I use stories to make learning fun and exciting, to demonstrate that book learning is practical, it's important, and to show that all people in life face the same difficult challenges and can learn to overcome them. Now, no matter what scenario you choose here, in all of these responses, one concept comes through, and that is summed up in the word clarity. Clarity. We all use stories to enhance our teaching, to stimulate learning, and to simplify understanding. We hope that the story will clear up any ambiguities in our teaching, any, I don't know, uncertainties as to what we meant, any concepts that might have been too hard for our students to grasp. We tell stories to be clear and precise in the meaning of what we have taught. And all of this is quite commendable on the part of the teachers. We would hardly want someone teaching our children whose whole goal in life was to make things so hard that all the students flunked the course. This is the way we think about teaching and the use of stories. Now, are you ready to hear Jesus' answer? When Jesus' disciples asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Stories. This was his response. Look at verses 11 through 13. He replied, 
the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. In turn, I would heal them. Would you have anticipated this answer from Jesus? Not me. I think this is one of those curveballs which Jesus sometimes throws, proving again that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. There are two reasons for Jesus' use of parables. Number one, to bless the disciples who know the Lord with further insight into his kingdom in person. Verse 11 and following. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Verse 16 and following. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your eyes because, or your ears because they hear. So, the first stated purpose by Jesus for his use of parables is that his disciples might continue to be blessed with abundant wisdom in the things of God. Where did they get the knowledge they had in the first place? Jesus said that it was given to his disciples. Verse 11. This means that it is still true what Paul said. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond finding, tra tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's from Romans 11, verse 33 and following. Notice that the same idea expressed by Jesus in our text are mimicked by the apostle. We don't give to God. God gives to us. God does not owe you anything. You owe him everything. He is not dependent upon you. You are dependent upon him. You cannot read his mind or figure him out. He reads your mind and takes note of every thought, even before it reaches expression on the tip of your tongue. David said that, Psalm 139, verse 4. God's wisdom, God's knowledge, plummets to the depths, but your knowledge, and mine as well, is shallow and easily exhausted. From him, we read, are all things. Through him, all things come our way. To him, 
All things are directed and have their grand design. And so Jesus tells his disciples that what they know of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to them. That is to say, they didn't discover these things through their own prowess and investigation. They didn't figure out the intricacies of God's grace because they were super intellectuals. No, God took it upon himself to reveal himself to these men through his son, Jesus. The result? Well, they are blessed with godly perception and understanding. They know something of the inner secrets of the kingdom of God, how men and women come into a right relationship with their creator. They've been the recipients of grace, and grace has taught them what they know. But this is only the beginning. Having received some truth from God, Jesus says, whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance, verse 12. The word abundance takes us out of the realm of the mediocre and brings us into the realm of opulence. It conjures up not some notion of squeaking by with the bare minimum, but of sailing through in a well-stocked 100-foot yacht. Abundance is the language of the rich and the well-to-do. It speaks more, it speaks of more than enough. It doesn't settle for enough. It's the language of kings and people in positions of power, abundance. And this promise comes from the one who owns the universe in which we live and orders all things after the determination of his own will. So assuming correctly that the good soil of Jesus' parable stands for all those who have received his word and have added faith to it, like rain to a newly planted field, the crop which is produced is directly related to his gift of knowledge and understanding, which comes from God in abundance to the believer. Look at verse 23. The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it hmm he produces a crop yielding a hundred sixty or thirty times what was sown a hundred times of what was sown hmm that's abundance I mean even thirty times what was sown is abundance Remember, verse 16, blessed are your ears because they hear. Ears that hear the voice of God when he speaks are blessed ears. They're ears that are given to hear the secrets of the kingdom which God himself discloses to his people. So, if you know anything of the kingdom of heaven this morning, you do not deserve a pat on the back. You have no room to gloat. Your ears were blessed by God with the ability to hear his voice in those words. Hearing of the kind 
of which Jesus speaks involves far more than possessing the auditory faculties to interpret and distinguish sound waves. The unbelieving have that, but though hearing, they do not understand. Verse 13. That's the distinction. So if you do understand, you're proof of the gracious gift of God. And here we discover what makes the good soil good in the parable of the sower. The good soil is good because God himself plows it up, thus breaking the impacted surface, which acts as a barrier to the deep penetration of the word. That's that hard-hearted listener we talked about the other week. The plow of God also breaks up the underlying stony heart, which inhibits the growth of deep roots so necessary to withstand the trials of life that come because of one's faith in God, the stony ground hearer. The prophet Jeremiah put it this way. God speaking through him. God says, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Also the plow of God plows under the thorns and the briars which choke the seed of his word and in turning the weeds under they die and they become a source of nourishment for the crop seed so that the harvest is abundant. Paul put it this way, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6.14 And in the parable, the weeds stand for life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Luke 8, verse 14. Everything found in the world to squeeze the breath of spiritual life out of us. Only God can take impacted soil and the rocky soil and the weed infested soil and turn it into productive farmland for the soil of which Jesus speaks is a man's heart and mind. So the first reason then which Jesus gives as to why he spoke to the people in parables was the reason we normally think about in terms of using stories as we do our teaching And that is, he intended to impart to the believing element of his hearers the necessary understanding of his kingdom and grace to produce an abundant harvest in their lives. Verse 17 says that many prophets and righteous men hoped to see what Jesus' disciples saw, but they did not see it. And to hear what they heard, but they did not hear it. That tells me there's a radical difference between Old Testament understanding and New Testament enlightenment. 
Jesus taught that among those born of women, there has been no one risen, anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least, get this, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, our study, is greater than John. Matthew 11, verse 11. The baptizer is the last of the Old Testament prophets of God serving at the close of the Old Covenant and at the beginning of the New Covenant established under better promises and a better sacrifice, the cross. John put it this way, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 17. The youngest Christian, listen, the youngest Christian of our age is blessed with more understanding and greater insight into the kingdom of heaven than the prophet John the Baptist. And Peter tells us, even the angels long to look into these things that we know. First Peter 1 and verse 12. So you're getting the idea, or I hope you're getting the idea, how privileged we are living in the age in which we are living. Living on this side of the cross rather than that side. Second, the second reason why Jesus spoke in parables, it's kind of harder to take. Verse 12 and following. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. And they've closed their eyes. So Jesus is saying the same parables which elucidate the minds and knowledge of the believing disciples of Christ were the same parables which made the mysteries of God even more bizarre, more difficult to comprehend, more impossible to understand, for the unbelieving element of Jesus' audience. This is uh, revolutionary for us. So what was refreshing and stimulating and uplifting to the disciples was repressive and depressing and a downer to those hardened by their unbelief. Wow. Now understand here what we are not talking about about two different messages. No, no. We're not talking about two different gospels. Nor are we talking about two different farmers or preachers. Each with his own kind of style of planting the field. No, the message is identical. The message, the method of propagating it is the same. The messenger is God's own son. Yet one group is edified by what they hear and the other group is offended. One listens with eagerness and comprehension 
Oh, give me more, give me more, tell me more. And the other group shakes its head and says, what, What's he talking about? The gospel of Jesus Christ always has this dual effect. Always. Paul, in talking about the ministry, had this perceptive evaluation. He writes, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. So God is, he's saying God is using us to disseminate the knowledge of God throughout our world. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. Wow. And among those who are perishing. Really? The witness of Christ is present among those being saved. And the witness of Christ is among those who are perishing. It's the same witness. Paul, Titus, Timothy, others laboring to teach the scriptures and the word of Christ. But notice the difference in the response. To the one, the group that is perishing, we are the smell of death. Ooh. To the other, those being saved, we are the fragrance of life. Something dead and rotten compared to the high quality perfume. Same message. How's that? And Paul recognizes who's equal to such a task. How do we pull this off? He goes on, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. In other words, he's saying people can't buy us off. We're just going to preach the gospel that Jesus gave to us. And to use our colloquialism, we'll just let the chips fall where they may. Well, where are they going to fall? Some are going to be saved and it's a fragrance to them. They just love the gospel and they love Christ. And others are going to hate every word and dig in and shake their fists in the face of God. Now this is remarkable honesty on Paul's part. He is not suggesting that everywhere he goes as an apostle of Jesus Christ that he is received with open arms or that everyone who hears the gospel preaches is going to embrace it by faith. He's not suggesting that at all. No, there's opposition to the word of God. There is hostility towards Christ. Some welcome what Paul preached and viewed it as the very life-giving gospel they needed for their souls. Others viewed his message with contempt and they saw it as a death blow to their lifestyle of sin which they preferred to keep. Same message. Polar receptions. 
Jesus is addressing the same thing in our text. Only here, the messenger is himself, and in the days of the prophets, the messenger was Isaiah, whom he quotes. But the response was the same. The people's hearts had become callous, verse 15, with the result that they could hardly hear. That's because they chose not to hear. And they closed their eyes to the truth, verse 15. That's why they couldn't see. Had the people not done this, guess what? Verse 15, well, otherwise they might see with their eyes. And it's a whole lot easier to see if your eyes aren't closed. Hear with the ears and understand with the heart and turn or repent and I would heal them. So do you see how their lack of understanding is their own fault? God didn't make them callous. He didn't harden their hearts. He didn't plant the thorns in the soil of their mind. They did these things to themselves by their stubborn refusal to listen to God's word and to act upon it. Jesus predicted this in his own ministry. John 3, verse 19 and following. This is the verdict, he says. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. He will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. In the Bible, light is associated with truth. And darkness is associated with error. We even speak of a person as being enlightened when they come to understand something that they had heretofore been ignorant about. People of the parable of the sower, whose response was everything from hard-hearted indifference to preoccupation, preoccupation with the allurements of the world, they received the same word of truth sown by that farmer. But they preferred their ignorance and the darkness over the truth. They didn't want to be side-railed from their own agenda by accepting and acting upon the gospel Jesus preached to them. Make no mistakes about it. The gospel Jesus preached called for a total commitment to him and a forsaking of everything else for his sake. Most assuredly, his gospel was a call to repentance from sin. The very reason why they preferred the darkness of their ignorance. They had no <laughs> intention of forsaking their sin. They loved their sin. No intention of having their sin exposed to the light of truth. 
That makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like this. Having closed their heart to God and His truth, Jesus used parables to keep them in the dark, which they preferred. You'll say, but didn't, didn't you say earlier that only God can change a heart? Yes. Didn't you say that all of us were just as stubborn and hard-hearted before God plowed up the soil of our hearts and got rid of the impacted ground and the rocks and the weeds? Yes. Then why doesn't God do that for everyone? Well, firstly, because he is not obligated to be merciful to everyone. The decision is solely his. Let me read it for you. His words. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on a man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Romans 9, verse 15 and 16. And the rationale behind this is not simply that God is God and so he can do what he very well pleases, though there's truth in that. That's the next point. But the rationale here is that no injustice occurs in God for not being merciful to everyone who has broken its law and sinned against his will. I mean, think about this. If a judge in our penal system pardons one criminal and sets him free, justice does not demand that in order to do that, he must pardon every criminal in every jail within his jurisdiction. <laughs> no, that makes a mockery of the definition of mercy. There are no demands on mercy. That's the point. Criminals deserve only the full retribution of the law that they broke. Mercy is something undeserved. And so it is at the discretion of the judge. Second, not only is God not obligated to be merciful to everyone... He has willed to be merciful only to those of his choosing. Oh boy. This choice is his to make alone. Let me read it for you. Romans 9 verse 21. Paul writes, Does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay, sinful humanity of course, out of the same lump of clay, Some pottery for noble purposes, believers who will glorify him in their lives, and some for common use, unbelievers who will never rise above their sin and their selfishness. They will never repent. They will never surrender willingly to the will of Christ. Does God have a right To have those two results from the same lump of clay. Paul then quotes Hosea. I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my beloved one who's not my loved one. 
Romans 9, verse 25. And Isaiah cried out concerning Israel, Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. Oh, God, you can't do that. Few among the masses will be saved. How so? See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Romans 9, verse 33. So my question this morning is this. Are you offended by Christ today? Do you trip over him and fall? Can't get past your anger. Can't get past your hard heart to see that repentance from such sin will bring healing to your soul? Are you a shallow professing Christian whose roots only go so far and then they stop when they reach a little resistance from the hard rock of persecution or animosity that comes from the world? Did not Christ go all the way to the Roman cross for sinners? Did the pain and the shame stop him from pursuing the will of God? As the cares of this life and preoccupation preoccupation with the pleasures, wealth, prestige of the world choke the good word of God to death in your perception and appreciation. If this is so, if all this is so, God owes you nothing but his wrath and judgment. But he offers mercy and forgiveness to all who will repent and receive his son by faith. Brethren, this is the gospel that Jesus preached. And many don't want to hear it. They want to hear the false narrative. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Won't you take him up on the plan? That's because they think the only thing God can do, the only thing that God is there for, is to love people unconditionally without any requirements that they must forsake their sin and come to Christ believing in his cross work for that sin. Much of what you hear on television, preachers, is not the truth. There's some good men on there. You have to be discerning. But a lot of it's just chit-chat make people feel good it's all about love God loves you you never hear any calls for repentance you never hear any call for turning to Christ and depending upon him for salvation of sin never you never hear that 
what we have before us, the written word of God, which includes the words of Jesus. And he lays it out for us and tells us, here's a true believer, a true disciple, and here's one that's not. So you don't need to be a rocket science to say, where am I in this scenario? Am I a true believer or am I not? Jesus paints it. He describes it. He merely says, be honest in your evaluation because your eternity depends upon that. Lord, we thank you for your word. This is the gospel Jesus preached. And it's hard. It is really hard. Because the word of God has been so adulterated in our age. And the gospel isn't the good news at all. It's just a man-made traditions, man-made evaluations. It hides the truth of God. doesn't call anybody for to, uh, to repent. It's like God loves you just the way you are. I've actually heard that said. God loves you just the way you are. He'll accept you just the way you are. All you have to do is come. Nothing is ever said of repentance. Nothing is said of forsaking sin. Nothing is said of loving Christ with all one's heart, mind, soul. Lord, make us realistic. Jesus is not a panacea for everybody that's hurting. He is the Lord of the universe, the God of creation. He deserves to be worshipped in the integrity of our hearts, believing his word and what he has to say about coming into the kingdom of God. Grant us repentance from our sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing, excuse me, our closing hymn is 473 in the hymnal. I love this hymn. If there is any victory... in this world over sin it's because of Christ he's obtained the victory for us 473 in the brown hymnal stand Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood atoning, 
Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then i cried dear jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow jesus came and brought to me the victory oh victory in jesus my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me ere i knew him and all my love is due him he plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood, I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory, and I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. 